Well, good morning. Christ is risen. Let's say it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are happy this morning. I could hear you singing. You sounded good. And this praise team this morning, they were in the spirit. They were singing, playing, and ministering to the Lord. I, yesterday, I went to the funeral of one of my dearest friends, has been a friend for so long that um, I just, he's preached for us a number of times here, and when he was single, he preached my very first youth camp in the state of Georgia, and as I was there in Grand Rapids, I was just thinking how real Easter is to Lauren and to Nate, his son, and then to Brenda, his wife, that we know, we know that those that have died in faith, they are with Christ today, and they are awaiting the resurrection as you and I are awaiting. Can we give the Lord one more hand of praise for that today? Coming home, I just kept dictating into my phone, and I'm so glad that your phones can just record what you're thinking about and talking about, and I just kind of dictated a few things down that just came to mind. Jesus became what we were, so that we could become what he is. Can you say amen to that? Jesus became the bread of life. He hungered that we might be satisfied and filled. Jesus, the fountain of life, was thirsty so that you and I could be satisfied. Jesus, the power of God, was crucified so that you and I might be strong. Jesus, the truth of God, was accused of false witness so that by his death we might be declared righteous. Jesus, the healer, was wounded, and by his stripes we are healed today. And Jesus, the source of life, died so that you and I might live again. We might live forever in heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? Well, come on, victory. This is good news for all of us. In every one of those little statements, I could give you scripture after scripture to support and sustain them of what Christ is to us. I want you to stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. I know that you have plans for today, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I do believe the Holy Spirit has a word for us. The Bible says very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Now, the stone wasn't rolled aside so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. Jesus was already out of the tomb. The stone was rolled aside so that you and I could look in and see an empty tomb. Can you say amen to that? That's why it was rolled aside. So when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Now you ought to circle that later, because the reason he's saying including Peter, Peter is because Peter had had a spectacular failure. And maybe you're watching today online, maybe you're with us here in the service today, and you've had a stunning failure in your life, and you think that God would never welcome you back, or Jesus would never want you back. But I want to tell you, Jesus is including you specifically on his invitation this morning. You matter to God. Somebody say amen today including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you before he died. 
Well, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And then they briefly reported all of this to Peter and his companions, and afterward, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen, amen, and amen. Father, I'm asking you this morning on this beautiful, gorgeous Easter day when we celebrate your resurrection, would you speak to each and every one of our hearts about the doors that you call us to walk through, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated this morning. There have been a lot of doors in your life and in my life, doors that we have walked into. For some of us, we've walked through doors of opportunity. Some of us, we've walked through doors of success. Some of us have walked through doors of relationships that maybe we were a little trembling about or we were awkward about, but we're so glad we did because later we stood at an altar and pledged our lives to one another to live together for the rest of our lives. Somebody, some of us maybe even look back on some doors that we wish that we had walked through, doors of missed opportunities, doors of missed relationships and friendships. But then there are also doors, if we're not careful, there are doors that are trap doors in our life. They can trap us in the wrong kind of relationships. They can trap us in debt. They can trap us in maybe even in a real prison somewhere because of decisions that we made. But I'm thankful that there are also doors out of prison. There are doors out of traps. There are doors out of those places that you and I should have never been in in the first place, and that God opens those doors for us. And one of those doors that is so important to you and me this morning is the door of forgiveness, that Christ is the door. Christ is the one who says to you, he opens up his life and he opens up his heart to us. You know, one of the things that I've learned in my life, and perhaps you haven't had to learn this in your life, but God forgives even the biggest messes that you and I can make. Can you say amen to that? Some of us, we've made some big messes in life. We've had some big failures in life. We've had some things that we look back upon and we, we tell our children in order that our children won't do the same thing, make the same mistake that we've made, but we've learned that God forgives the biggest mess, but the biggest mess of all that God forgives is God forgives us of the mess of sin that sin has made of our lives. You know, we've talked often about the power of sin that's at work in this world, but then we talk about the sins that you and I have committed. And evil, because we live in a world of evil, we live, as someone said to me recently in our community, said, Pastor, it really doesn't do any good to hope because we're always going to have evil with us. There's always going to be murder. There's always going to be, and he just listed a whole list of crimes. And I said, this is true, but the very reason that you're saying this it alarms me because you're a community leader. You're a city leader in our community. And that is because evil so prevalent causes us to despair and to take our eyes off of Jesus that we pray to every single day in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, deliver us from evil. Can you say amen to that? And if we're not careful, evil will cause us to give in to despair. Evil will cause us to give in to fear. Evil will cause us to give in to grief, not understanding that God has brought a door of forgiveness through Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse, uh, verse 9, I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved. 
That not only means saved from my sin, but saved to discover the life that God has for me. There are people in my life that understand me. There are people who understand how I think, how I feel, especially my wife. I'm happy to say that my board and, and my, the pastors that I work with here at Woodland, I'm happy to say that there are people in my life that understand me, but there are things about myself that I don't even understand, that I grapple with and I wrestle with occasionally. And I'm sure there are things about yourself that at times you wish you understood better and you really can't process why you respond or react the way that you do. But one thing you need to remember, when Jesus says, I am the door and through me you will be saved, God understands me better than anyone else. God understands me better than myself. God understands me better than my wife. God understands me better than my parents. And the good news is this, God loves me unconditionally. Whether I've made a mess or whether I've done good, God loves me unconditionally. God didn't love me any more when I gave my heart to Jesus than he did before I gave my heart to Jesus. God didn't love me any less when I made a mess than when I was doing things in a very good way for Christ. You see, the thing we have to understand is that God understands us, he loves us, and he knows what we were created not only to be, but created to do, and in his sovereignty, God has the power, if we will allow him to in our lives, God has the power to make us what he wants us to be. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? You only do that by living for the approval of God. I love my wife, and she would want me to tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. I love my kids. My kids would want me to tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. And that is more than anything, I want the approval of God. I want the smile of God upon my life. Then I do Becky's or our children or your approval of anybody else. Because when you live for the approval of one, when you live for the approval of God, you find out that God works through your life, accomplishing his purposes and his power, and you live in freedom. Freedom, and that's what it really means to be saved, is to live in freedom. And you can only live in freedom, according to the book of Psalms, if you pay attention to what the Lord has to say about how you live life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Well, what does that mean? That means that only the people who hear his voice will enter the door. You see, Jesus calls out. He's a shepherd, and there have been times when you felt him drawing you. There have been times when you felt him calling you, and maybe you've resisted because you're afraid of what it means to go through that door to follow Jesus. Somebody has told you, like someone told me down at Big Bear Lodge, the restaurant right down the street. They told me, he says, Pastor Clinton, I really want to be a Christian, but this is what so-and-so told me, and they began to tell me a list of things that they had to do to be a Christian. And I said, well, let's write them all down. And so I pulled out my iPad and my pencil, and we wrote down a list. And I said, is this what all they told you? And they said, yes. And then I put a big red X right through it with the pencil on the iPad. And I said, Jesus says, you don't have to do any of those things. Jesus has already done it for you. We're not talking about a religion of works. We're talking about a relationship where God calls us to walk through a door of opportunity and a door of real life. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise for that today. He's already accomplished the work. It's already been done. Secondly, Jesus is my door to a truly meaningful life. 
Jesus is the door to faith. He's the door to freedom. He's the door to healing. He's the door to hope and to love and to joy and to peace. He's the door to patience and kindness. He is the door to everything that you're really looking for. Now, John 10.10, Jesus makes an interesting comparison. The thief, which is the devil, the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many of you have ever had anything stolen from you? Can I see your hand this morning? Doesn't it really just aggravate you? And don't you think about things that you hope happens to the thief? Don't you think about, I had a snowblower stolen out of my garage because I had not even had the chance to crank it up yet. I just bought the snowblower. It was the mother of all snowblowers. Pastor Rick told me, he went with me, he said, Pastor, you don't need a snowblower this big. But I said, yeah, but it's powerful. I said, I can throw snow all over the subdivision. And so I bought that snowblower. I put it in my garage. I came home after preaching on a Wednesday night. I was tired. I forgot to close the garage door. And I got up to close the garage door, and somebody had stole my snowblower. I prayed, Jesus, let that thing blow up on them from the first time they crank it up. I mean, we have all these things that we would like to happen to a thief. Well, when Jesus died for your sins and my sins, he gave us the opportunity to have life. Jesus doesn't want to take anything from you. Jesus wants to give you a brand new life of faith and hope and love. And the devil wants to put you in prison. He's the one that lays the trap doors. He's the one that lays the prison doors. Jesus is the way to the door of life. Somebody give him another hand of praise this morning. Well, come on, victory. Hallelujah. Secondly, Jesus is the door to hope. No matter what I've done, no, no matter what you've done, I can't imagine what Peter must have felt like. I mean, think about this for just a moment. Peter had said to Jesus, if everyone else forsakes you, I won't forsake you. I won't abandon. I mean, can't you just see the pride and the confidence in Peter's heart and his mind? He's looking at Jesus, and he's looking at the rest of his 12 buddies or his 11 buddies are standing around here, and Jesus is looking at them, and basically he's just looking up at the cross. He says, Lord, you see all the rest of these folks out here? I, they may forsake you, but I never will. <laughs> if I'd have been one of those other disciples, I'd probably said, ho, 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 Peter, just shut your big mouth for just a moment. I, too, am going to be faithful. But when the opportunity came to be faithful and to be counted, he swore, he cursed. He said, I don't even know the man. Not once, but three times he denied the Lord. That's the reason that that little statement, including Peter, you see, when you make a public commitment, if all else forsakes you, if all else forsakes you, Lord, I won't forsake you. And Jesus had even looked at Peter. Just imagine looking you in the eye and saying to you, from now on, you're going to be called a rock. That's how strong your commitment is. And then before the night is over, you publicly, in a very stunning way, you fail the Lord. The Bible tells us that after Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus looked at him, and that look, that look of pain, that look of betrayal must have been so intense that Peter fled Pilate's court, weeping. That, weep of, that look of betrayal was so intense that Judas went out and hung himself. And you see, that's the person I'm concerned about as well this morning. Because you see, Peter must have been thinking, what will Jesus think about me? 
Judas must have thought, what does Jesus think about me now that I betrayed him with a kiss on the cheek? And you may have made such a mess of your life. You may have sinned in such a way. You may have denied the Lord in such a way that you might be sitting here thinking this morning, what does God really think about me? I want you to know what God thinks about you. He loves you and he forgives you and he holds no record of wrong against you. You see, Judas gave up all hope and he went out and hung himself. But Peter, he went out fishing with the disciples, and it's an amazing story out there on the lake. They're not catching any fish, and it's almost a replay of an earlier miracle in Peter's life. Also, Jesus calls out from the shore, and he says, have you caught anything? And the guys replied, no, we've not caught anything. And so Jesus, replaying the whole miracle, he says, cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. And suddenly, they begin hauling in the fish. You see, it's not how well you serve God that determines the miracles in your life. It's not how sinless you are that determines the miracles in life. It's not how perfect you are that determines the miracles in life. It's the fact that Jesus never, ever, ever fails us or lets us down. And when they begin to draw that harvest of fish in, Peter knew that it was the Lord. He swam to the shore to meet Jesus. And Jesus, rather than calling him rock... Jesus looks at him, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he made him look at his own failure. Three times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And finally, Peter said the only thing he could say, he says, Lord, you know I love you. You know how imperfect my love was. You know what a mess I made. That's what he's saying. You know what a mess I made of my life? And then Jesus looks at him and says, feed my sheep. Sin doesn't have to end your life. Backsliding doesn't have to end your life. Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn you for your sins. He came into this world to save you and to save me from our sins. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that this morning? That's good news. That's what Easter is all about. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful way God describes it as luring his backsliding people back to him in the book of Hosea. Now, just so I can set the scene, Hosea is the story of a woman who made a royal mess of her life. Not once did she abandon her marriage, but more than once she abandoned her marriage. She absolutely sold herself into prostitution and became a slave, but God kept rescuing and bringing her back through her husband, Hosea. And you might say, well, I would have never done that. I would have never done that. But the love of God is so intense, it doesn't matter how far you go. Because I'm sure that Gomer never realized how far sin would take her in life. But God kept rescuing her. And there, to illustrate this, he says in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, There, behold, I will allure her. What's he saying? I am going to draw her. You don't allure somebody unless you love them. Bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. You may be looking for a door of hope this morning. You may be looking for some way to get back to Jesus. I want you to know Jesus is the door of hope for you and me. Can you say amen? Thirdly, this morning, I need power to live upon, and you need power to live upon. Jesus is the door to power. Jesus made a remarkable promise in the Bible to the church. 
He made a remarkable promise to you and I, and I confess through the years is one of those promises that I have studied and researched and thought about and prayed about, and I feel like I'm still learning about this. It's not a formal thing, but it's a real promise to you and I. And I want you to look at Matthew 16 and verse 19. I'm going to read from the message this morning. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. And a yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is no in heaven. Underline or circle that little phrase in your outline in Matthew 16, 19 there, keys to open any and every door. If you know me, I hate keys. I carry very few keys. The church is very glad I don't carry keys because I lose them all the time. I have air tags on everything so I can find them. I leave home without my wallet so many times. I can't tell you how many times I've been pulled by the police, and thankfully they know me because when they ask for my identification, I go, I am so sorry. It's on my bedside stand. It's on my desk. I don't even have my wallet with me right now, come to think of it. So I'm going to have to borrow money for you for the offering this morning. <laughs> Isn't that a setup? Anyway, anyway I, 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 just don't trust me with keys whatsoever. Do you have my wallet? <laughs> That's bugging me now. So anyhow, the doors to the keys of the kingdom, I, I, I'm like, Jesus, there are doors in heaven that can be unlocked on earth. There are doors that we need opened of healing. We have a precious, precious brother right now in the hospital that needs a miracle in his life. Oh, there's a miracle that if he dies, he goes to be with Jesus. But his wife and I are standing firmly on the promises that by Jesus' stripes we are healed. There's an elderly lady from our congregation lingering right at death's door. This morning we are standing on the promises of God that God will receive her into his presence. She's ready to meet Jesus. There are people today that need the door to power open to their life, not just for miracles, but the power to get up out of bed in the morning, the power to keep on going because your wife has left you, your husband has left you, because your job has been lost. God says there is a key to power in your life. And you say, Pastor, what is that key? It's found in the Lord's prayer that if we're willing to pray it each and every day and mean it from the bottom of our hearts, I finally got Matthew 16, 19, praying the Lord's prayer one day. When I prayed, Father, let your will be done in my life on earth, even if it is done in heaven. And to want the will of God is not to want my will or to want your will. It's to want what God wants done in our lives. Somebody say amen today. <laughs> Hallelujah. And don't you think our earth needs a little touch of heaven right now? Don't you think our earth needs the touch of God's peace? Don't you think that our earth needs the touch of God's healing of relationships and marriages and homes? Don't you think the nations could use an earth-shaking revival that begins to bring people to Christ and pull dictators down from power as people around the world experience the power of God in their lives? I was at the University of Georgia speaking a few years ago. And there I sat down with a Chinese professor after I had got done with speaking to this large group of students. And 
he asked me to pray with him for the suffering church back in China. And we went all the way back to Tiananmen Square. And he says, what most people don't realize is those young people that were in Tiananmen Square, they were there not because of politics. They were there because of a revival that was sweeping China. They weren't trying to overthrow a dictator. They were praying for a miracle, for God to send revival to China. And the thief came to try and destroy that by killing them. But what we have seen is the most massive explosion of evangelism that's taking place anywhere in the world. It's not in the United States. It's not in Europe. It's not in Africa. It's not in South America. But it is in communist China where today the church is thriving because some young people were willing to shed their blood because they believed in the power of God to even raise the dead. Friends, we need that kind of conviction once again in our lives about Easter. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then fourthly this morning, Easter is the door to opportunity. The door to opportunity. I've always been amazed at the people that I've met through the years, how God has opened doors for them. There was a young pastor I preached for years and years ago. He told me he wanted to be a missionary. And I looked at him and I thought, hmm you're never going to be a missionary. <laughs> Have you ever looked at somebody and they've told you their dream and you just think that in your heart? You know, that's not from God. And I didn't tell him. I just like, okay. He couldn't speak good English. He wasn't a good leader. I could just give you a list of all the things and just all the reasons he couldn't be good. He applied to become a missionary. He was turned down flat. He came back kept working, and every time I'd see him, he says, I'm going to be a missionary. I said, there's no way. I said, they've turned you down twice. He said, I'm going to be a missionary. One day he called me. I had moved away up here, and God had opened the door. And he said, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, there was one man that when I kept meeting him, he says, there's no way you can be a missionary. And he said, I got approved while he was overseas. He said, God sent him overseas so I could get approved. Now, I don't know if I agree with the theology of that, but I just know he got approved and went on in the history of his denomination to raise his budget faster than any other missionary had ever raised a budget. He called me one day and says, I have just broke all the records. I've raised my money faster than anybody else has ever raised their money in my denomination. I called him by name. I said, Eddie. They're just trying to get rid of you. They want you out of their hair. <laughs> he started laughing like you did. He went on to have one of the most successful missionary careers of planting and establishing churches because of the nation that he felt called to go to, his personality fit, his lack of leadership in an American culture. It fit in that culture, and he became a great leader. He became a great communicator because the more he saw people getting saved and what God was doing, his confidence in the power of God continued to, to increase in him. His wife called me one day when they're home, and she says, we've got to have 
have lunch. She says, my husband is not the same man that he was. You see, God had opened a door of opportunity for him. And here where he would have been considered a failure and a nobody, he had become a champion. He had become a statesman for the kingdom of heaven. And until the day he died, he lived and breathed his last breath, bringing lost people to Jesus Christ. Never, never give up on God's will and God's plan for your life. Never give up on it. People like me don't always know what the will of God is, but if God puts a dream in your heart, you follow it. Look at this in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the, now this is Jesus in the letter to the angel. The angel is the pastor of the church. Angel means messenger. Right, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. Remember, we just talked about keys. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny my name. I feel like God is saying to somebody this morning, you feel like you're at the end of your strength and you have little strength, but you've been faithful, you have obeyed me, you have not denied me. I am opening a door for you that nobody can close. Don't you give up on Jesus this morning and don't you dare give up on your dream. And then finally this morning, God opens the door to a forever friendship, a forever friendship. I preached so many funerals. This week, this week, Becky and I have had three very close friends go to heaven. We have raised compassionate sons. We've raised a compassionate daughter. One of my sons, I won't tell you who, if you guess correctly after service, I'll answer you honestly, but one of my sons called me while I was on the treadmill early one morning and he said, Dad, I've just been thinking, I know you and mom are sad. You've lost three really close friends this week that have gone to heaven. He said, but dad, I just, you know, dad, you're at that age. I go, careful, son. The will can be edited. He goes, no, dad, listen to me. You're at that age. You're going to see a lot more of this. And it may be you, dad. And I go, well, thanks so much for calling me and encouraging me. Should I step off the treadmill now? <laughs> he goes, but Dad, you know. And he began to call their names. And he's known some of them since he was a little boy. He says, you know they're alive. You know they're in heaven. And Dad, this Easter, they may even be looking in on you while you're preaching. You see, friends, when you give your life to Jesus, you never lose a friend to the grave, for Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has robbed death of its sting because he is alive. You sang it this morning. Because he is alive, you and I are going to live forever and ever. That's why this holiday is so important to Christians around the world. Because he lives, you and I can face tomorrow. Somebody say amen today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So John sees into heaven in the book of Revelation chapter four and he says, look, I stand at the door and knock and if you hear my voice and open the door, 
I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, a few moments ago I spoke to someone saying, you might have lost hope today. You might have backslid and you might have been thinking, what does Jesus think about me today? Jesus is not looking at your mess. Jesus is looking at you. He loves you. I can't really tell you about any messes of my children except for one. And every once in a while, I look back at that and I go, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to him. But during that time, all I could think about was how much I loved him, how much I cared for him. It wasn't a moral failure. It wasn't a lie or betrayal or anything of that nature. It's just something foolish. But what I was so grateful for was when he made that foolish mistake, he knew he could pick up the phone and call me. And he knew he could say, Dad, I need help. And I want you to know today God doesn't look at your mess. God looks at you, and he loves you. And there is a door open for you to come back home to Jesus. There's a door open to the church because who Jesus is talking to here, here is not lost people. He's talking to his church because they've gotten so busy. They've gotten so busy with things that they've forgotten to have fellowship with him. He says, I know that you're busy doing this whole context. He, he talks about, I know that you're busy doing a lot of good things, but he says, you're so busy doing good things, you don't have time for me. You don't have time to worship. You don't have time to, to fellowship with me. And God is calling to you this morning as a church, to me as a pastor that's the reason it was so refreshing to watch everybody worship so enthusiastically and to watch this team together because God is saying, I will come in. If there's anything I want for Woodland more than anything else in this world, it's not a crowd. It's not a bigger budget. It's not a bigger building. It's not a bigger anything. If there's anything I want for Woodland, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I crave Jesus. I desire the presence of Jesus and the midst of this church more than anything else in this world and it's what I want for my marriage and it's what I want for my family and then if you'll look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 he says and then as I looked I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I'd heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast and the voice said come up here I will show you what must happen after this I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with this passage. If you look it up in the commentary, it won't say exactly what I'm saying, but I'm not doing injustice to it. God is calling John up to be able to see what's going to happen down through time of a church that worships him. But one day you, one day me, and one day like three of our friends this week who knew Jesus, they're going to hear a voice saying, come on up. Come on up. But that's not the end. 
We are not disciples of Plato who believed that death freed us from the body so that we could become what we were meant to be. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, in a garden a long time ago, God did something that's never been repeated and never will be repeated. God created a man and a woman. He breathed his breath of life into that man and the woman. And then, making that man and a woman, he did something so beautiful. He said, now the two of you come together. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And the only way people are born again and saved is if husbands and wives come together and they're fruitful and they multiply and they bring forth children into the world. God's plan was to populate the world and we sinned. And God did not look at the mess we had made. Instead, he made a sacrifice, covered Adam and Eve. He made a way for people to have their sins forgiven until Christ could come and die for our sins at Calvary. And when he came, he prepared a body for Jesus. And Jesus gave his life at Calvary, was resurrected again so that you and I might be saved. Now listen, this gets better. And now every child that is born and every child that has ever been born, as husbands and wives come together, as men and women come together and create a child, make a child, that child can be saved because of the body of Christ that was given. And then together, collectively, we make what's known as the church and the most beautiful mystery yet to be fulfilled is that Jesus who rose again has a bride. As a man, this is hard for me to think this way. I don't like lace. I couldn't imagine wearing a bridal gown. But somehow or another, Jesus looks at you and me as a bride. And there's coming a day when time is going to be finished as we know it. And he's going to call this church, this body of Christ, he's going to call us up to heaven. And there's going to be a marriage supper where Christ receives his bride. And I want you to be a part of that. And so stand with me, and I want you to read out loud with me Acts chapter 10 and verse 35, and I want you to read it with passion. Put it up on the screen for me, please. Acts chapter 10 and verse 35. Let's read it together. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. Let's read it again. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as he says, the door is open. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And if you're watching online, you might even want to bow your head and close your eyes this morning as well. How many of you, first of all, you just lift up your hand and you'd say, Pastor, I'm ready to meet Jesus. If he came today, I'm ready to meet the Lord. Could I see your hand? Raise it up high.
I'm ready to meet Jesus. Okay, you can put them down. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, I want you to know how much I respect you for being honest. I want you to know how much I'm grateful to you for being honest with me because you didn't want to lie to me and you didn't want to lie to God. But if you're standing there this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I want God. I want out of this trap that I'm in. I want out of this prison that I'm in. I want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And perhaps what's been keeping you back is you, you keep looking at the mess in your life. And God has long forgot about that mess. God's looking at you and he loves you. Nobody understands you better than Jesus. Your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, nobody understands you better than Jesus. And no one loves you more than Jesus does. So Christians are praying for you right now. And I'm talking to you online as well today. I'm so glad you're here. But if you're ready to receive Jesus, if you want God, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving Christ to die for my sins. And I confess that he lives today. And I'm so tired of the traps. I'm so tired of the prisons. I'm so tired of all these wrong doors I've walked through. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to walk through this door of salvation today or this opportunity to recommit your life to Christ. So as much as I know how, I'm asking you to be the Lord and Savior of my life in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, would you hold up your hand this morning? Nobody else is looking around but just me. Everyone else, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you all over this building. If you're watching online or if you're on church online, let us know. You can lift your hand on church online or if you're on Facebook or YouTube, send us a message. Can we all just lift our hands towards heaven right now and let's pray for those who have committed their lives to Jesus today. Repeat this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, come on, say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I welcome those into the family of God who have walked through a door of hope and the door of forgiveness and a door of eternal friendship. Fill them with power and fill them with love and your joy today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, now look at me. Look at me. Before we receive our offering, I want you to know, you've just made three of my friends very happy. You've just made three of my friends very happy.
One is a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia. One is a missionary named Dean. One is another pastor that just laid down his life for Christ. Just very close friends. But the Bible says, Jesus said, not, not just a prophet, Jesus said, when one sinner gives their heart to the Lord, all of heaven, that means those that are there, that means our loved ones from this church that are in heaven, they're going absolutely bananas for Jesus Christ right now and for you having given your heart to Jesus. Can we celebrate with heaven today? Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, nobody knows how to throw a new life party like Jesus knows how to throw a new life party. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The ushers are coming. We're going to wait upon you for the tithes and offerings today. Please fill out the communication cards. If you're a guest, please fill out one of those cards as well. Let us know that you're here. We won't be knocking on your door or anything like that, but if you do want help or you do want to visit, all you got to do is let us know, and we have a very special gift for you we'd love to give you right after the service. If you gave your heart to Jesus and you prayed with us, we've got a wonderful gift we'd love to give you as well after this service this morning to help you get started with your new life in Christ.